With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash acquire. That's linkedin.com slash acquire. Terms and conditions apply. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and... Starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welcome to the Caixin Seneca Business Brief, brought to you by SupChina. Each week, we bring you a roundup from the world of business in China from Caixin, China's authority on business and financial news, as well as interviews with Caixin global reporters and editors. I'm Kaiser Guo from the Cynical Podcast. Another week, another seven days of Chinese economic recovery. In the podcast today, we will be reporting on China's GDP growth, China's semiconductor market growth, and the profit growth of the country's central state-owned enterprises. If you want to grow your knowledge of China's business news, you have come to the right place. With all the news that counts, here is your weekly China Business Roundup. Good news for China's centrally administered state-owned enterprises. The SOE's profits tripled in the first quarter, hitting an all-time high for the period as the country's economy continues to recover from the fallout of the COVID-19 pandemic. In the first quarter of this year, central SOEs earned $63.7 billion in net profits, up more than 200% compared to the amount reported for the same period last year, but, you know, that was during the pandemic, and up 31.1% from the same period in 2019. U.S. President Joe Biden and Japanese Prime Minister Yoshide Suga met last week and pledged to strengthen cooperation on climate change and regional security, as well as bolster their alliance to counter China's rise. According to a joint statement, the two leaders agreed to, quote, underscore the importance of peace and stability across the Taiwan Strait and encourage the peaceful resolution of cross-strait issues, end quote. China protested the statement through its embassy in the U.S., expressing, quote, strong concern and firm opposition, unquote, to the China-related comments, which went, quote, far beyond the scope of normal development of bilateral relations, unquote. China officially became the world's biggest buyer of chip equipment in 2020, according to a report by SEMI, a U.S.-based industry association representing companies involved in electronics design and manufacturing supply chain. With sales of $18.72 billion, the Chinese mainland market for semiconductor manufacturing equipment is thought to have been worth $18.7 billion as measured by an increase of 39% year-on-year, The new figures come amidst a push by Beijing to pursue self-sufficiency in chip production as tech tensions with Washington continue to mount. China's holdings of U.S. Treasuries rose in February to the highest since mid-2019, as yields climbed in response to the prospect of more stimulus for an American economy increasingly recovering from the coronavirus pandemic, according to Bloomberg. 
The holdings increased by $9 billion in February to $1.1 trillion, the highest total since July 2019, according to figures from the U.S. Treasury Department released Thursday. It was the fourth straight monthly increase and the longest buying streak since 2017. China is the second largest foreign holder of U.S. government bonds after Japan. China's GDP grew 18.3% year-on-year in the first quarter of 2021, on the low comparison base from the same period last year amid the COVID-19 outbreak, official data showed Friday. Economic growth gained momentum in the wake of a record 6.8% contraction in the first quarter last year. Despite the impressive numbers, they were still slightly lower than the median estimate of 18.8% growth of a Caixin survey of economists. There was also concern that the recovery remains unbalanced. Both household income and consumption grew slower than GDP. In the first quarter, average household disposable income per capita rose 13.7% year-on-year, while the average household consumption expenditure per capita rose 17.6%. Chinese aluminum prices hit their highest global price in almost three years. Analysts said the price rise was fueled by speculation that China is readying a curb of aluminum output in the Xinjiang Uyghur Autonomous Region as part of a set of broader efforts to rein in carbon dioxide emissions. At the same time, demand for the metal continues to grow. Aluminum consumption has notably rebounded since the fourth quarter of last year, especially in the property, automobile, and packaging sectors. And finally, Potentially good news for people looking to travel between Hong Kong and the mainland. The Hong Kong government plans to relax travel restrictions and allow Chinese mainland residents to enter the special administrative region without being subject to 14-day mandatory quarantine upon arrival, according to the city's chief executive, Carrie Lam. At a press conference last week, Lam said the change will take place in mid-May and travelers will not be required to provide any certificates of COVID-19 vaccination. Let's welcome Heather Mowbray, new media producer and editor at Caixin Global, right? Mm -hmm. Well, Heather, welcome, welcome. Thank you, and uh, great to be on the show, Kaiser. Of course, some of our listeners may recognize your voice, Heather. Uh, Heather is one of the readers of our China Stories podcast, where you can hear pieces published in Caixin Global, in SubChina, and a whole bunch of other English language outlets that are focused on China. But uh, Heather joins us for a completely different reason, as you've doubtless heard. There's been a lot of noise over Chinese COVID-19 vaccines and their efficacy over the last week. Uh, but before we get into all that, Heather, would you first give us a quick recap about China's current vaccine situation? Okay, so at the moment, China has four homemade COVID-19 vaccines approved for regular people, Lao Baixing, and a fifth for smaller scale emergency use. And four of them need more than one jab. The vaccines include two separately developed ones by affiliates of state-owned China National Pharmaceutical Group, one by Sinovac Biotech and one by CanSino Biologics. Then there's one jointly developed by the Institute of Microbiology under the state-backed Chinese Academy of Sciences and a subsidiary of Chongqing Zhifei Biological Products. Mm -hmm. And China hasn't authorized any foreign-made ones just yet, but it does have a deal with BioNTech, on the cards via the pharmaceutical giant Fosun, which is expected to first buy and later make the Pfizer jab for use in China. And on that one, we'll just have to wait and see when it will roll out. And I, I suppose it's obvious, but one factor complicating it is just China's sheer size. It's enormous population, right? Yeah, the scale of things around here is always uh, astounding when you consider it 
other countries, especially in Europe. Wang Huaqing, the chief immunization expert at China's CDC, said in an interview with the official Xinhua News Agency that China may need to vaccinate at least one billion people to reach the threshold necessary for herd immunity. Beijing and other cities plan to inoculate 40% of its population by the end of June, but this target lacks far behind the roughly 70% threshold that many global experts argue is necessary for achieving any hope of herd immunity. On the plus side, it does seem that daily inoculations have gone up this month. The CDC expert Wang said that it had gone up to 7 million a week from about 3 to 4 million a week. That's great. And how many people have already been vaccinated or at least partially vaccinated? As for how many people have already got the jab, as of April the 10th, China has administered more than 164 million doses of COVID-19 vaccines within its 1.4 billion strong population. And the numbers include those who've had only one dose so far, as well as those who've had the complete two-dose regimen. Okay, so on to this question of efficacy. Uh, What do we know about the actual efficacy of these five vaccines? Official trial data shows that the first four vaccines have protection rates ranging from 50 to around 79%. But China does seem to be considering a shift in its inoculation strategy. A recent interview with China's Center for Disease Control and Prevention director, Gao Fu, suggested that China may deploy a new tactic to increase efficacy as its vaccination campaign juggernaut steams ahead. He's reported to have said that China should consider adjusting the vaccination process, uh, including the number of doses and intervals, and adopting sequential vaccinations with different types of vaccines. And a key word used by the Chinese Center for Disease Control is different technical lines, meaning a mix of the old-school vaccine type using inactivated virus of some sort, and the new mRNA type that works in a very different way by reprogramming messenger cells coded in the virus's makeup. And what about these comments that the head of the China CDC, Gao Fu, or George Gao, made recently about efficacy? Can you walk us through what he's reported to have said? Okay, yeah. Well, in talking about inoculation program changes China should consider, in his recent media interview, Gao Fu is reported to have gone as far as saying that efficacy rates for Chinese vaccines needed improving, suggesting, quote, we will solve the issue that current vaccines don't have very high protection rates. And now he's reportedly downplaying these previous remarks, yeah? That's right. A week and many global headlines later, Gao had a different message for the press. In an interview with the Global Times last Sunday, he commented that it was a complete misunderstanding to say Chinese vaccines had low efficacy rates. And his remarks referred instead to the global vaccine drive. Which may have been backtracking, or may have not been, but in the noise created, his more nerdy point about potentially mixing vaccine types was somewhat drowned out. Okay, so although he's now saying that his remarks were taken out of context, there are still fears that this may create complications for China's COVID vaccine drive, which, as many of us know, has lagged behind those efforts in uh, other countries, right? Yeah, it could have something to do with the vaccine campaign having got off to a slow start. So with under 12% of the Chinese population having been vaccinated or having had at least their first shot, it may be hard to convince people to get jabbed if there are doubts about efficacy. And with the epidemic seemingly behind everyone in China, albeit governed by tight border controls, people have shown little urgency to get vaccinated on public health grounds either. This all casts serious doubts on government plans to vaccinate 560 million people by the end of June.
But it's important to say that China is not alone in taking its time to get a mass vaccination program right. Only a handful of countries have carried out rapid campaigns to date, and these include Israel and Chile. The UK has not been too, too bad either. Gao at the Chinese CDC is reported to have said, it's only natural for China to optimize its vaccine strategy because countries around the world have been adjusting their immunization strategies. So Heather, I wonder whether you might be able to give us a sense for how the country is trying to speed up its inoculation campaign. Yeah, I can. So it seems that some local authorities have been pretty insistent. And China's National Health Authority has publicly criticized compulsory vaccination drives conducted recently. During a press conference last Sunday, national health officials warned against sacking employees if they refused to get the vaccine. And it seems that some local governments are turning to some quite creative methods, no? Yeah, that's true. Well, in Daxing district in the south of Beijing, the authorities have been handing out supermarket coupons worth 200 million yuan, or 30 million US dollars, since March 24th, to residents who've gotten all of their COVID-19 shots already. In southernmost Hainan Island, the town of Wancheng announced a list of restrictions for those who haven't been vaccinated against the virus, including a ban on entering supermarkets and hotels. This has apparently had the less welcome effect of drawing attention nationwide and sparking a local backlash. And one student at Beijing's University of International Business and Economics said he was asked by his university to provide legitimate and reasonable reasons why he hadn't been vaccinated yet. And many unvaccinated students have also been asked to do the same, he said. And there are other ways of corralling the population at play too. Some parts of the capital have been calling out non-compliance by sticking colour-coded plaques on people's front doors. A green sign means that more than 80% of residents have been vaccinated, while a red sign indicates the vaccination rate is less than 40%. But my favourites in Dongcheng District, in Beijing, where I live, according to posters on the walls and online issued by the local government, the over-60s can get two boxes of eggs after getting fully vaccinated. Many residents queuing for vaccination in the district told Saishin that the prospect of free eggs was the main reason they turned up. And my local neighborhood committee has also been offering vouchers at a local fish restaurant for a helping of spicy cow yu for anyone who got their first shot last week. Okay, and uh, bon appetit, Heather. Enjoy the fish and the eggs, and uh, we look forward to having you back. And that's it for this week. Thanks for listening. The Caixin Seneca Business Brief is produced by Kaiser Guo and Nandini Venkata with stories from the staff of Caixin Global. Special thanks to Li Xin and Marcus Ryder of Caixin Global. Thanks to Spring and Autumn for the music. Hear stories from Caixin Global, SubChina, and many other China-focused outlets on the new China Stories podcast. And for daily news and views, make sure to subscribe to SubChina Access for our daily newsletter. Find us at subchina.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. Take care.